thanks for joining us for the Unexpected Jesus series as we walk through the book of Mark at Doxa Church. Doxa Church exists to equip people to live for Jesus in the everyday stuff of life. For more information, go to doxa-church.com. Let's open our Bibles to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. We're going to begin in verse 35. We're going to look at the unexpected power of Jesus that really catches the disciples even by surprise as he calms the storms both externally as well as internally. And if you remember when I started this series, we talked about the idea that this is all, Mark is writing a gospel to likely mostly Gentile believers in Rome who are going through significant persecution and need to be reminded over and over again that the kingdom of God, and in particular the king, Jesus, is greater than the ruler of the world that they're living in. That they need to be reminded there's a, a greater power than the ones they see around them, and that's in Jesus Christ. And that, that should bring great encouragement to them. I hope it brings encouragement to you because I want you to know Jesus has power to calm the storm. He has power to calm the storm in your life. He has power to calm the storm around you because Jesus is the only one who's truly at rest in the middle of the storm, is truly the one who can calm the storms, and is truly the one who can bring rest to your soul in the middle of the storm. So Jesus is at rest. Those are the three things we're going to talk about. Jesus is at rest in the storm. He calms the storm, and he can actually bring rest to your soul in the middle of the storm. So let's begin reading verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care that we are perishing? <laughs> Can you imagine that scene? Oh, man. And he awoke and he rebuked the wind and he said to the, to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased. And it was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? We're going to keep reading after uh, I share a little bit because we're going to continue into chapter 5, but just stop here and walk through this first story. And these stories are put together intentionally, you'll see, because Jesus is going to deal with the external storm as well as the internal storm. Let's start with the external storm. It's interesting, in this particular version of this story, the other gospel writers have this, Matthew and Luke, <clears throat> but they don't nearly have the, 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 the detail that Mark has. I mean, he has detail like the hour of the day, uh, the reference of the disciples taking Jesus with them into the boat, the presence of other boats around them, the boats drawing in water, him sleeping on a cushion uh, in the stern, the disciples' kind of sarcastic response and then Jesus' rebuke. Those are all unique and, and very fine details that are, are, would tell us that clearly an eyewitness is giving this story to Mark and we, we know that likely that eyewitness is Peter. And the reason why I say that is because some people want to act like this is a fanciful story, like a made-up narrative that somebody concocted later. But the, when, whenever you, you see anybody who gets on a witness stand and has to give an account of a circumstance that took place, oftentimes they'll tell you details that are not necessary for the story, but it tells you they were really there. 
And if you're a good, good lawyer, you're paying attention to the detail of the narrative uh, to be ensured that they're not making up a story. And that's really part of what's going on here is Mark is letting us know, no, this is probably, we, 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 we can almost be certain, this is from Peter's very own experience of what he went through. So the level of detail being described here is of a, of a detail of an eyewitness, not of a, a made-up story. Now, this story is also going to reflect I'm not going to look at it, but you can look at it later. Uh, a, a significant influence from Psalm 107. So we want to write that down. Psalm 107, primarily verses 23 through 32. If you go and read that, you'll see the psalmist is speaking of a God who calms the storms. And uh, very clearly referencing, uh, Mark is really, really telling the story in a way that helps us understand the fulfillment of the psalmist's psalmist, uh, prophecy or prediction of one who would come to calm the storms. But there's also another thing that's being referenced here. This, this particular narrative is a parallel account of Jonah. And we're going to walk through that. And some of you know the story of Jonah. Um, but let, let's, let's examine the storm first because like Jonah... Uh, Jesus is in the middle of a storm. Now, for very different reasons. Uh, if you remember, Jonah was running away from God's plan, and then God uses a storm to redirect him into his will, to God's will. Some of you, by the way, today may be in a place where you're experiencing a storm in your life, and I want to let you know that God intends to use the storms to bring us to him, to lead us back to the only one who can calm the storm. Let's talk about the storm a bit. Uh, this particular region, Sea of Galilee, uh, lies 700 feet, and if you just try to imagine this, 700 feet below sea level in a basin that's surrounded by mountains and hills that are incredibly steep on the east side. And it also is very close, about 30 miles to the northeast, to Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon is 30 miles northeast of them, and Mount Hermon is 9,200 feet above sea level. So you've got the Sea of Galilee, 700 feet below sea level. Mount Hermon, 9,200 feet above sea level. And so what you've got is you've got this interchange of cold air that comes off from Mount Hermon and this very warm air that's coming off from the Sea of Galilee. And if any of you know how weather works, when cold and warm come together that fast, you get a hurricane. Okay, so the kinds of storms uh, that would happen were famous in this particular kind of region because they were so severe. And what's really interesting is Jesus tells them, let's go into the boat and go out into it. And, and, and what I want to stop and just make a note of is sometimes Jesus will lead you into a place that there might likely and probably will be a storm. In fact, he tells the disciples later, if you follow me, if you continue in this, you're going to suffer. So there's a storm that they get brought into, and this storm is, the way it's described, it really is at the level of a hurricane, which is, you know, if you're reading, you're going, why are a bunch of fishermen afraid of a storm? Well, if it's a hurricane, it makes sense. It's just a kind of windy, wavy day. That's their life. They're used to that. But this is unlike that kind of normal, windy day. This is a horrible, vicious storm that they're in. And Mark's description of it is very similar to the narrative of the story of Jonah. Uh, one other thing I want to make note of before we start to unpack this, this is the only place in all of the Gospels where we find Jesus asleep. It's the only place where it's, it, it's recorded that he was asleep. And, and that's very important then to, to ask ourselves, why is he asked, 
Why is he making it clear that Jesus is asleep in the middle of the storm? And if you were here last week, you remember the farmer uh, sowing the seed and going to sleep. Remember that? So there's a real quick, there's a, a connection from last week's message of the, the sower, the farmer, putting the seed in the ground and going to sleep, knowing that the seed will produce the work. And now what we see is the seed, who is Jesus, in the boat, asleep. Uh, and, and at rest. And the reason why is because Jesus is at rest in the middle of the storm. Jesus is at rest in the middle of storms. In your life, in my life, in the world. Let me ask, have you ever been with somebody who you're watching them go through a horrific storm, a loss of a loved one, a divorce, a loss of a job, uh, a surprise in, in what they were expecting their work would be like and it didn't turn out to be like they hoped it would. The, uh, have you ever seen someone go through a storm and, and be at rest? And it's a remarkable thing when you see it. If, you, if you've seen it, you remember it. it. It's not very normal because most people don't respond in rested ways in the middle of the storm. Let me ask you, how do you respond to the storm? Maybe you're in one right now. Maybe, maybe you're in one and you're living in denial of it. Some of us, that's how we deal with the storm. We just go, it's not that bad. I'm going to pretend like everything's okay. Just keep per- pressing on. I'm going to work harder. Just try to ignore that it's going on. There's no storm. Others of us, we, we get incredibly anxious or we give in to fear. We feel, we realize the storm is out of our control and so we, we feel out of control and therefore we respond with Fear and anxiety and worry. Some of us take it out on other people when we're in the middle of the storm. We, we, we don't know what to do, and so we've we got to work it out. We hurt others. And the disciples are clearly not at rest in this storm. Jesus is sleeping on a cushion in the stern of the boat, and yet they're not rested. And like the captain of Jonah's ship, when he speaks to Jonah, they berate Jesus for being asleep in the middle of the storm. This is what they say. Teacher, don't you care that we're drowning, that we're perishing? They immediately question Jesus' love for them. Let me ask you, when you, when you go through the storm, is that the place you go first? Like, God, how could you do this? How could, if you love me, you wouldn't let it get like this. Do you really know me? Do you know what I'm going through? Are you present? Are you aware? Are you just asleep in the storm? Immediately question is care. And maybe, maybe the reason why is because maybe they thought if they were Jesus, they wouldn't go through storms. Maybe they thought everything would get better if they were with Jesus. Maybe that's like many of us today who we bought a lie that told us if you come to Jesus Christ, then everything will be better. And yet we're going to find out through Mark's gospel, it gets worse, not better. But what we will find out also is we have one who's able to be at rest in the middle of the storm and is with us, who can bring us to a place of rest. See, I'm convinced that a lot of us are incredibly surprised at the storms of life when they come because we actually didn't think it would happen. What we need to hear, 1 Peter 4, remind us that we, we should not think it strange as though something 
Strange, we should not be surprised at the fiery trial we face as though something strange were happening to us. We, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't look at the storms of life and go, I had no idea it was gonna come. I'll tell you, there, there are days when I, I contemplate the worst that could happen to me. And I'm not, because I'm, I'm not a pessimist. Most of you know me, I'm more of the optimist. I, I, some people gotta help me be a realist. But I, I will have days where I'll go, okay, Lord, if, if my wife is driving and someone sideswipes her and kills her, and I lose my spouse, how will I respond? If, if I, one of my children is taken or dies, how will I respond? If, if I step up and proclaim a gospel message and people get up in the room and leave and then they start to speak evil of me elsewhere, how will I respond? I mean, I, I go through this because I don't wanna be surprised by the trial. I don't wanna be surprised by the storm. We have no guarantee that life is gonna be easy. In fact, Don Carson says in his words from How Long, O Lord, he says, one of the major causes of devastating grief among Christians is that our expectations are false. We do not give the subject of suffering the thought it deserves until we ourselves are confronted with tragedy. If by that point, if by that point beliefs, not well thought out or being deeply ingrained, are largely out of step with the God who has disclosed himself in the Bible, then the pain from the personal tragedy may be multiplied many times over as we begin to question the very foundations of our faith. I remember hearing Tim Keller say one time, the thing that's most difficult for people when they suffer is not the suffering, but the fact that they didn't know they were gonna suffer. And it's the surprise of the storm that gets us more than the storm. It's the, the idea that we bought in to an idea that, that's been wrongly given to us by the so-called prosperity gospel, which is no gospel at all, that says if you come to Jesus, everything will be better, you'll never have to suffer sickness, and if you just believe enough, everything will be good. It's a lie. Jesus is the best at believing. He is the full of faith one, and yet he died on a cross for our sins. It didn't get better. Now, because of that, it gets better, but he had to go through the storm to bring the calm. He had to go through the, the wind, the hurricane of sin, taking it on himself on a cross, suffering for our sins so that we could experience the calm of the freedom of forgiveness that only he can provide. But it didn't, he didn't promise that it would not be without pain. In fact, he says, you're gonna suffer in this world, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. He wants us to be encouraged, not with the idea that we'll never suffer or go through the storms, but that we won't go through it alone, that he's in the boat. And you maybe you're, you're kind of going like, but if God really loved us, he wouldn't let us go through the hard stuff. Let me, let me just reframe it for you. God really loves you, so he puts you through the hard stuff. In fact, several places in scripture we're told that God brings us through things to form in us character. And it's oftentimes through the storm that what is wrong with us comes out of us. It reveals itself. The, the storm, in a sense, in the disciples' lives refe- reveal their unbelief in Jesus, reveal their lack of understanding of who he really is and what he can really do. And so it's the storm that squeezes out of them the stuff that's inside of them so it can be addressed and be changed. For some of you, God is bringing you into the storm 
so that the stuff that's wrong and broken inside of you can be addressed. It can be purified. Your character can be established. Your faith can become stronger. And here's the other thing I want to let you know. Whether you have Jesus or not, you will go through the storms regardless. Every one of us, if you're going like, not me, just wait. Get ready. I'm not trying to speak evil of you. I'm just, I'm just trying to say this world is a broken place and nobody lives forever apart from Jesus Christ, but we have to go through death to get there. So it's going to happen. A woman this last year came to faith through the ministry of Doxa and uh, she's become a friend of our families and she's gone through a really tough year. She's gone through a lot of really hard circumstances and at one point as I was walking through with her all the storms that she was going through and we were praying together, I said, I want to make sure you understand. God knew you would go through these storms and so he brought you to himself so you wouldn't go through them alone. Like, I want you to see the the plan of God that he called you to himself before some of the storms hit so that you could have Jesus in the boat with you to bring calm to you while you're going through it. That's how much he loves you. In fact, there's some of you today are going, man, it's been great, everything's been wonderful. Can I beg you to come to Jesus even now because you need the only one who can calm the storm and the storm will come. And the beauty of God is he loves you enough to not want you to go through the storm by yourself. He wants to be in the boat. He wants to be the one who's at most at rest in your storm. So you have somebody you can go to so you're not alone. He's at rest in the storm. In fact, I, I want to encourage you, if you haven't yet come to faith, invite Jesus to enter into the storm with you so he can bring calm to it. Jesus calms the storm. Let's keep re- let's look at verse 39. Uh, as Jesus wakes up, I, I don't know if it's, I, before I want to go any further, th- is it not strange to you that he's asleep? He must be exhausted, yeah, that, that, which is such a great, a great, by the way, thanks for interacting. I, I love that when that happens. Yeah, um, th- th- there's this, 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 Mark wants us to understand, he is human. He feels what we feel, the, the, the writer of Hebrews says that he was tempted in every way just like us, but without sin. So he's tired. He's a real human. He's sleeping, and, and they, they wake him up. And if you know the story of Jonah, what, what's Jonah doing in the, in the belly of the ship when the storm is coming about? He's sleeping. We're going to see a parallel story through the whole thing. And then what happens with Jonah, we might remember, they, they, Jonah says, you've got to throw me into, the, into the, the sea because I'm the reason why the storms come to you. So if you get rid of me, the storm will calm. And of course, they throw Jonah overboard and the, 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 the storm completely calms. Same, similar type of thing here, except for they don't have to throw Jesus overboard. And of course, Jesus has never sinned. He has only ever obeyed what God has called him to do. He is our righteousness for that very reason because he perfectly submitted to God in absolutely everything because we needed one who would because we don't. As he awoke and he rebuked the wind and he said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was great calm. Now the language for rebuke here when he says he rebuked the wind is the exact same language that Jesus employed when he rebuked the evil spirits previously. So it's, it's the same command. It's the, Mark wants us to understand that this is the one who has power over demons and power over nature. And he can rebuke it. He can tell it to calm at any moment. And the language for peace, be still, is the same 
words that Mark employs when he records Jesus saying to the evil spirits, be silent. Okay, so see what's going on. Mark wants us to see that the the physical and the spiritual realities are not as separate as we might think they are, that, that they're very much interwoven, and Jesus has authority over both, what we can't see and what we can see. And the language here is depicting the power of the stronger man. Remember we talked about the, the strong man a few weeks ago that has the real power to shut down Satan, has the real power to plunder his evil minions, has the real power to overcome anything in this world. And of course, this is also foreshadowing the next story, which we'll get to in a few minutes, about Jesus' authority over the evil forces that are controlling the demoniac. Jesus has power to calm the storm, whatever the storm might be. I love it because Mark wants to see that Jesus was asleep in the middle of the storm, and when Jesus woke up, the storm went to sleep. It's pretty cool. It's great imagery. Those of you who love literature, this is really, really amazing literature in how he's writing this. Last week, I had to leave quickly. Janie and I had to go to a burial of a little baby who was just a few weeks shy of being full term. Good friends of ours, the woman, our friend, her name is Paige. She started realizing the baby wasn't moving. And sure enough, the baby had passed away. The cord had wrapped around its leg and caught caught off the primary blood supply. Um, and so here we were last week at a graveside with a little box in the ground with a little baby in it. Our children are there with us. We're literally this close to it that our kids dropped flowers on top of the casket. By the way, I, I think it's really good for children to understand that people die because I think we can grow up in a context where we don't face that reality. We try to anesthetize it. We try to, try to like make it like a remove from our reality. We try to dream a world where that's not gonna happen and we need to know that we've, ex- we've kind of experienced that reality. We walk through that reality. We face that reality. And of course, it was a very sobering time together and Janie had prepared uh, a wonderful talk. I mean, God had given her some incredible words that she, they had asked her to share and, and, uh, and so she began to read and tell the story of her experience uh, walking with Paige because Janie was at the hospital when she delivered and walked through all that grieving with her. Janie is an amazing gift of, uh, in terms of a shepherd, a, a real caregiver, and especially when people are facing death. God's really gifted her with an ability to enter into people's suffering in a way that I, I, she's way better at than me. And so she was there with them through that whole process and she wrote about it and there's just packed full of scripture and I mean she just did an amazing job putting this together and yet as she starts reading it, a storm comes in. And we're, you know, we're under one of those coverings. If you've ever been to a burial site, they can move them around, but they're not that big. And so everybody kind of gets really, really close in so they don't get wet. And the storm gets worse and worse and worse to the point at which she can't even be hurt. So she's like literally yelling out loud to try and overcome the noise of the storm. The, the rain and hail and everything that's falling is so vicious. And at one point, Paige just starts laughing, the mom. She's like, this is crazy. 
And she says, let's get closer. And we get as close as we can. And Janie's reading and reading. And she gets to the very end of her, her reading. And there's a passage in Thessalonians that she reads about the fact that we, 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 don't, we, aren't, we aren't grieving. We aren't mourning like those who don't have hope. Because we have hope in the one who went to a cross. He died and he rose again. And there's a day when we'll be raised. And the ones who look like they're asleep are not really going to stay that way. Though it looks as calm in that casket as it possibly can. She's not there. The baby's not there. The baby is in the presence of the Lord, we believe. And one day we also will be raised to be with him in glory. And so we don't have this hopelessness in the midst of the storm. And as soon as she got to that passage and she started reading it, I'm not kidding you. I've never experienced anything like this in my life. Literally, the entire storm just shut off. We looked out, it was blue sky in a second. And there was a rainbow. And she reads it in absolute calm and silence. She finishes that portion that I just referred to. No noise. And then she gets done and we, we begin to continue to proceed. And the storm hits, boom, again. And we all knew that was a holy moment. We're convinced God did that in that moment for this family to realize, I see the storm. You're in the storm. It's loud. It's, it's chaotic. It's confusing. And yet I'm here. And I can stop it anytime I want. I want you to know that that's the God we worship. When we talk about Jesus Christ, he is not far away. He's not removed. He's very aware of what you're going through. He's very in control. He has not lost control. And for a lot of us, that's the reason why the storms of life mess with us so much is because we're wondering, how can this happen? Is God out of control? And we ask one of two things. If he's really in control, then he must not be very good because why would he let us go through this? Or the reason why we're going through it is because he's not in control. And I want you to know, he's in control and he's really good. And he loves you. And he wants to be with you in the boat. And he wants to bring calm. The interesting thing is, sometimes the calm isn't him getting rid of the storm. Sometimes the calm is him being with you in the storm. And I feel like that's part of what God was showing Paige and Adam last Sunday, is that I'm here. I can stop this. I want you to hear that God is here for you. You may be going, why are we suffering? I don't know the answer to that, I'll tell you, but I can tell you this. He's in control and he's good. And he wants you to know his goodness in the midst of your storm. He wants you to know his power. He has power to calm the storm. Jesus has power to calm the storm. And sometimes he does. And sometimes the storm he needs to calm is the one inside of you, not the one around you. Listen to what he says. Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? I'm going to be real honest. I want to join the disciples at this point and go like, really? Why are we afraid? We were going to die. Right? There's, this, there's almost this like, humor that, that gets brought into this. Like, are you, what are you talking about? We were, you were asleep. There was water pouring in. We, we, for, I mean, all we knew was this ship is going down. There is no rescue. They can't get any worse. Why are we afraid? <laughs> That's why. Don't you love us? Didn't, didn't you, weren't you aware? I mean, I, I, I think Mark wants us to understand. Like, you and I feel what they feel. We go through what they go through. And I want you to know it's okay 
to be honest about that, to not try to pretend like it's all together, like it doesn't hurt or it's not difficult. Like there's a part that I don't think Jesus is so much trying to shame them, but rather draw out of them what's going on inside of them. It's the same kind of thing that you hear God do when he goes in the garden and after Adam and Eve, after they, they rebel, and he says, where are you? It's not as though he doesn't know where they're at. It's, it's a question to draw the heart out. I think what's going on here is he's, he's given them the opportunity to wrestle with what's going on inside of them. Like, why are you afraid? What, what, what did you think? And notice when he asked the question, does he ask it before he calms the storm or after? This is really important. He asks it after he calms the storm. So the storm is calm, and they're terrified. In fact, the language that Mark uses is, while they were in the storm, they were afraid. After Jesus calmed the storm, they were terrified. That's, that's exactly the order. And it's no different than when they, the, the, the sailors throw Jonah in the water, and the, calm, the storm calms, and then they're even more afraid. Why? says, they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? They're afraid in the storm and they're terrified after the storm. Why? Because God is in the boat. God is in the boat. And you go, well, why would that terrify you? Well, if you've been thinking we're following Jesus, you know, he's, he's, he's going to be our teacher, he'll be our rabbi. He was a carpenter, and then now he's a teacher, and we're following him, and we're hoping he's the Messiah, and then you realize he's God. You're going to have the same kind of response. I mean, if, if you turned around and God's right there, which, by the way, he is, but, I mean, when you realize that, when you realize that God who created all things, the God who parted the Red Sea, the God whom Isaiah fell apart in front of when he just had a vision of him. When you realize that God is in your boat, whoa, who is this? That even the winds and the the sea obey him. See, in that day, they believed the only one who had power over nature was God himself. And there he is with them. And see, here's the crazy thing is if, if he's really that powerful, then we can't control him. And it's a terrifying thing when you come to the realization that you thought that, that, that God was a lot more like a genie that you rub the lamp and you tell him what to do and then you realize, no, he tells you what to do. He tells the storms what to do. He's God. And when you realize that, you're going to have one of two emotions. You're either going to be absolutely terrified going, oh my goodness, I've been against this God. I never knew this God. I've been rebelling against this God. And it's a scary thing to fall in the hands of an angry God, the almighty creator of the universe whom you're rebelling against. And so that could be terrifying. It could also be incredibly calming when you realize the God who has power over all things is in your boat and is for you not against you. See, in a lot of ways, the disciples are coming face to face with who Jesus really is, and as they realize who he is as God, their, their, their ideas of God have got to change. 
I want you to hear this. Many of us, we need to have our view of God transform as we look at Jesus. Maybe you've got a view of God that's been wrongly shaped by your experiences or some bad teaching or a situation you went through. And the way you get to know what God's really like is you look at Jesus Christ. He is the fullness of the deity in bodily form. And, and, and as you see him and you come to know him, you, 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 you have a response that's less of, of fear that's terrified and want to get away and more of the fear that says, I want to bow down and worship. I need you. Because he can bring rest to your soul. See, he's not just the one who calms the storm, but he, he can actually deal with the thing that's wrong inside of you. And let's go to the next story with the time we have. It's, it'll be pretty quick. Some of you are going to wish I would, would have spent more time in the story, but let's go through it. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerizines. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there, there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. By the way, do you see the parallels of the storm? Now we're, it's now a different kind of storm. Mark's really brilliant at writing this for us. The spirit led him to do it. For he had been, often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountainsides, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. This, this, this story is a parallel story of the one we just heard in that there's an uncontrollable force that nobody can hold back. This guy cannot be contained, and it's not only hurting everybody else, but it's hurting him. Is this a picture, just so it's clear? This is a picture of sin. This is a picture of how sin destroys you. This is a picture of how you can't overcome sin by yourself. You go, no, I'm going to be a better person. I'm going to try harder this year. No. The only one who can overcome sin is Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul, Apostle of Apostles, like the, 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 the Pharisee of Pharisees, he himself said, the very thing I want to do, I don't do, and the very thing I don't want to do, I end up doing. What is wrong with me? And he says, it's this body of sin. Who's going to save me, he cries out. And I'm convinced this isn't the Apostle Paul before he comes to faith in Jesus. This is the Apostle Paul dealing with the daily battle of sin. He says, who's going to save me? Praise be to God. Jesus Christ is my salvation. What, what Mark wants us to understand is the same power that spoke over the storms is necessary to speak over the storm in your life, to overcome the brokenness, the sin, the stuff that's ravaging your life. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and he fell down before him and crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Now that statement right there is affirming Jesus' deity. Big deal. Huge right now in the story. Because Mark is building uh, this discovery of who Jesus is. And he says, I adjure you by God, do not torment me. Do you see the authority Jesus has? This demon's begging. Don't, don't get me. I know the power you got. He was saying to him, come out of you, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Jesus is saying that. And what we, what we see is, even the demons must fall at the feet of Jesus. There's no storm too big for him, no demon too powerful for him, no sin that he can't conquer. There's nothing in your life that is too big for Jesus. And one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Everyone will bow before Jesus. Everyone. 
Everyone. Why? Because he's God. Because he's king of kings and lord of lords. And you've got to imagine the people in Rome who are being persecuted for their faith are going, yes, we long for that day. The demons have to fall. Everyone has fallen. Nero will have to fall and bow at the feet of Jesus one day. Everybody will bow down before the one who truly is the king of kings and the lord of lords. And Jesus Jesus doesn't respond with some kind of weird mantra. Just side note, a lot of us, like, we've been taught how to deal with demonic stuff, and you've been given all these, like, you got to say it this way and that way. It's like, no, what does he say? Come out of him. Just direct. Not messing around. Just get out of there. Now, when, when, we, when we started church playing years ago, we sat down with our kids and said, hey, the evil one hates what we're doing. He hates people getting set free. He loves to control. He loves to destroy. He, he loves to keep them under his, his, his mastery. mastery. His, he wants to keep them a slave. Some of you today, by the way, are still slaves to the evil one, and God wants to set you free. And you can be free today by coming to Jesus Christ. And as we, as we told our kids, we said, the evil one hates that message. He hates the fact that he knows he's not going to win in the end, and he wants to hold on to as many as long as he possibly can. And so he's going to come at us too because he hates what we're doing. And so we would teach them, if you ever are in a situation where there's, there's an evil presence in the room that you sense, or if you even see something, or you feel something that's trying to hurt you, you just say, in the name of Jesus, leave. In the name of Jesus, go. Jesus, drive this out. All right? We don't make it sensationalism. We don't, we don't like to talk about every demonic story we've ever experienced, because who wants to give them credit? But we also teach them to not be afraid. Because if you have Jesus Christ, you have the power over all things. He's for you. He's with you. He will stand with you and overcome the things that are trying to destroy you. And then Jesus asked him, what's your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. Now, can you imagine watching that? Whoa, we are many. I have a friend who oftentimes is walking through helping people get set free from the demonic. And there may be some of you in the room who have been demonized or even are experiencing spiritual oppression and you don't know what to call it. You don't know what it is, but you just, you've felt it, you've experienced it, you, you, don't, you never knew to, you could give it a name. It's called, it, there is demonic work going on around you. And what my friend who works in this a lot, helping churches, he said there was one time he had to lead a person to Christ seven times because there were seven different demons. Like he had, literally had to like deal with each one of those, per, and they all each became a personality. So he had to like, like put to death every personality before he could get to the real person who was there. He'd been controlled for, for years. Well, you know what legion is? It's a military term designating the largest troop unit in the Roman army. So the people in Rome are going, legion, I get it. We're looking at Rome and we think that they're, they're the enemy, they're the evil ones, and now we got this picture of all of one of those units in one person controlling that one person, destroying that one person, and look at what Jesus does in the face of, of the enemy. Get out of here. And he goes. But beforehand, they beg. He begs earnestly not to be sent out of the country, verse 10. See, a Legion knows, yes, I've got to obey. We have to obey. They beg Jesus not to send them out of the country, which would indicate that this particular area was likely a very spiritually dark area, therefore incredibly unsafe for us, very safe for demonic presence. But I think what Mark wants us to understand is there's no place too dark or too powerful for Jesus to invade and bring about change. 
Maybe that's kind of how you've been feeling about your circumstance or your situation. Like, I think this one's too big for him. He can handle legion. He can handle what you're going through. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside and they begged him saying, send us to the pigs. (laughs) Let us enter them. I'm not gonna take a lot of time on this because I don't have time to get, there's so much behind this. But what we do know is this passage is full of uncleanliness. You know, the Jewish people, particularly the pig. And so what we're seeing, the reason why I wanna stop and say this is because it's not just demonic oppression that we're dealing with, it's all that destroys you. It's all the, the sin, all the brokenness, all the stuff you're going through. Jesus has power over all that. Send us to the pigs. So he gave them permission and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd numbering about 2,000. Some unhappy pig farmer. Right? I mean, come on. Rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. Now some might say, well, it was just a, you know, a lot of, they're gonna have a ham supper. Like, a, like that's a lot of ham that we gotta distribute. Maybe that's why we have ham at Easter. I don't know, probably not, but just kidding. What we do see here, though, is there's a significant loss Sin cost. I want, I want to say this real clear. If you're engaging in ongoing sin, don't think it won't cost. It's expensive. It's costly. It's destructive. And we all know it ultimately cost Jesus his life. Do you know what helps me say no to sin? It's remembering that Jesus suffered for my sin. A number of times I'm like, God, I don't want to keep doing that. It put you on a cross. And I don't want to keep doing it because you overcame. You have power. I don't have to keep giving in. The herdsmen fled and they told it in the city and in the country and people came to see what had happened. They came to Jesus. They saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there, clothed in his right mind and they were afraid. Just as the storm was calm, now the man is calmed. You see the same picture. It's a picture of salvation. The man is free. He's calm. He's rested at the feet of Jesus. And just as the disciples were terrified after he calmed the sea, just as the sailors were terrified after Jonah was thrown into the sea, these guys are freaking out. (laughs) They're terrified as well. The stories are parallel because what we need to understand is those who experience the power of God bringing calm into their hearts are the ones who can sit at the feet of Jesus and rest even in the midst of a dark country, even in the midst of all kinds of spiritual warfare around you. But the ones who are terrified are the ones who don't yet know the power of Jesus. They don't yet know the calming presence of Christ. And and maybe you go in and out of that because I do too where I'm like, there are days when I'm walking in the presence and awareness of his presence and his power and I experience deep rest. And there are other days when I give in to the fear, the anxiety. I spoke in, in Vancouver at a conference this last week, and you know, it was great. Francis Chan was there, and Larry Osborne, and some other guys that, man, you don't even know who they are, but Guy Mason, great preacher. I just was, and Mark Clark, I just sat there, and I just soaked in their teaching, and I had to teach a few times, and I closed the whole conference out, and I, I spoke, and I got done, and I felt horrible about my talk. And in the middle of the night, because I had to stay one more night, I'm, I woke up, and I, I just feel tormented, Jeff, you blew it. You, you're terrible. You said bad things. You didn't say enough things. And all of a sudden I realized I am under attack. And so quickly, 
I got sucked into the storm and I didn't, I forgot to call out to Jesus. I just started like, going through my mind. No, I did, I did it okay. It was not that bad. Oh yeah, it was really bad. That's terrible. And I'm in that battle. Do you know what I'm talking about? And I just, I start crying out, Jesus, calm me. I need to go to sleep. I need to remember I don't save people, you do. I need to remember it's not my words that do it, but your word that does it. It's not my power, it's your power. And, and all of a sudden, as I kept praying, I felt the storm calm. And I could then rest at the feet of Jesus. That happens to me a lot. I don't know about you, but I get woken up in the middle of the night in spiritual attack zone. It happens a lot. And I pray, and the Lord, and he teaches me how to battle it. I want the calm of the, the demoniac who's sitting at the feet of Jesus rested even in the midst of the darkness that we live in. Do you need to be set free? Do you need to experience the calm of the presence of Christ? Maybe for you it's, it's an external storm that you're going through and you, want, you need to know he's in the boat. Maybe it's the internal storm of Ongoing sin and besetting brokenness, past pain, accusations, anxiety, fear. Maybe it's even demonic oppression for some of you in the room. And I want to be clear, you won't be set free apart from the storm. First of all, the storm that Jesus went through for you and me. See, unlike Jonah, Jesus never sinned. And like Jonah was thrown into the sea, Jesus was thrown up to the cross. And at the cross, Jesus took the, the place of all of us. He entered into the storm of God's wrath for sin, and he satisfied it. The Bible says that Jesus is our propitiation, which means he fully satisfies God's righteous anger against our sin. The storm of God's wrath is satisfied in Christ so the calm of God's love could come into our hearts and flow over our brokenness, cleansing us of our sins, giving us great peace that the God of the universe is with us and he's not against us. He's for us in Christ Jesus. And we know that when he hung on the cross, not only did he do that for us, but he put death to death. And as Jesus is in the ground, in, in, in the tomb for three days, like Jonah was in the water, he is absolutely at rest. And that rest is a death. That rest is a putting to death, death for you and I, so that he could overcome death for us. And he's raised on the third day, just like Jonah is rescued by the whale and spit out on the, on the sand. Jesus is raised again, and he's victorious over Satan, sin, and death to overcome for us so we can experience the grace and the freedom that he, pr- he provides. So go to him in your storm. Go to him with your sin. Go to him with your situation. In fact, I want to read this last passage here, 1 Peter 4, 1 through 3. This is the last. We're coming to another one, but we're getting there. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourself with the same way of thinking. For whoever suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Jesus has ceased the power of sin for us so we can cease from having the power of sin overcome us. So as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. The Gentiles are those outside of the faith in this language. Living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. Whoever suffered has ceased from sin. What he's, what he's saying there is, you're not going to overcome sin without suffering. 
You're not going to overcome sin without the storm. You're not going to overcome sin without the turmoil of needing to cry out, God set me free. And I'll tell you this, I have never overcome anything in my life without significant pain. Sometimes it's pain that I didn't choose, that God uses to deal with my people proving tendencies years ago when I was feeling rejected by a bunch of people and I had to deal with what I, how I dealt with that. Sometimes it's, it's putting to death sin by saying, I'm gonna say no to that. I've done enough. The time in the past suffices. What Peter's saying there is, didn't you already sin enough? Do you want to be like the demoniac and go back under the control of the evil one and be controlled and destroyed so that you're beating yourself up with sin? Or do you want to have victory over sin and cease from it? Can I just say there's some of you right now who need to suffer by saying no to sin. Say no more pornography. This is the last day. We've done enough. The past suffices. Arm yourself with this mind, with this ability to think of Christ suffering for sin and have his power to overcome sin. Some of you are contemplating relationships with somebody else that's not your spouse. (laughs) Enough! Because here's what will happen. You keep engaging it, you're just basically saying, bring on the storm, the one that destroys me. I just want to, I'll just... Live under the control of the evil one. No, you don't have to. You don't have to. You can be free today. He suffered for you. He overcame the storm for you. He wants to set you free from demonic oppression, from sin, from all the background of all that shaped you up till today that's hurt you, that's lying to you, that's accusing you. He he wants to set you free. Arm yourself. Arm yourself with the same way of thinking. And here's what happens when you get free, when you receive the grace of God through suffering, and then you find that he's in the boat with you to calm the storm, and then he starts to calm the storms that are inside of you that are keeping you from living the life that he intended you to live. You want to go tell people. Listen to this last part. Those who had seen it described to them what they had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from the region. And as he was getting in the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. He's like, I want to go in the boat with you. I love this. By the way, you know that you know. You know that you know that you know Jesus because you want to be with him. You, don't, you want to go everywhere he goes. You want to do whatever he tells you to do. When you know that you know, and I mean, I know there's a no, like I think I know, but when you really know, Right? When you really know. You're like, oh, you could have the world, but give me Jesus. Take all else away, but give me Jesus. The one thing I have to have is Jesus. When you know that, then you're like, I want to go everywhere you go. I'll do everything you say. And Jesus doesn't let him go with him. <laughs> he says, he didn't permit him. Why? Go home to your friends. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. He went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Don't miss this. This is the first time in the whole story where Jesus gives someone permission, not just permission, but a command to go and tell everybody else about Jesus. What we know is this was the beginning of a breaking into a a Gentile territory with the good news of the kingdom. And who does he use to go tell the good news of the kingdom to? The worst person they know. The one who is most controlled by sin, controlled by demonic activity. Like, that's how he works. Some of you are sitting in the room going, gosh, I could never be used by God. Don't you know my past? Yeah. 
He does know your past and he loves to set you free so you can go tell the world that he's the God who can get you through the storm, be with you in the boat, set you free from sin so you can be free to tell everyone that Jesus is the one who has the power to calm the storm. Some of you need to go tell people. We've been experiencing healings. We've been experiencing a whole lot of miraculous work in ways that, I mean, that, the story I told you about the graveside, that, that's a miracle. We're gonna tell people, talk about the one who calms the storm. Jesus has power to overcome your storm. Let's pray. Father, I know within this room, for certain, there are people that see a storm around them. Maybe it's not inside of them or they don't know it yet, but they see one around them. I pray, Lord, if they don't have you in the boat, if they haven't invited you, Jesus, into their life, I pray right now you just break through the blinders so that you would open their ears, change their heart, invade their life, make your presence known to them. Lord, maybe, maybe they've been trying to face the storm outside with their own strength, their own power. They've been bailing the water when they could have cried out for you to calm the storm. Lord, I pray you'd give them faith today to cry out to you. And Lord, if, if there's a storm you want us to stay in, would you give us the, the confidence that you are at rest in it and then give us your rest? Lord, I know there are other people here, they have a storm going on inside of them. Maybe they still are giving in to sin over and over and over again. Set them free. Set them free. Maybe it's just the lies, the accusations, the fears. Heal them. Maybe it's demonic oppression. Drive those demons out, God. We want none of them here. In the name of Jesus, leave. Set your people free, God. Help us, Lord. Help us. Thank you for entering into the storm for us. We need you to be in the boat with us. You, Jesus, alone have power to overcome the storm. Amen. Thanks for joining us for the Unexpected Jesus series as we walk through the book of Mark at Doxa Church. Doxa Church exists to equip people to live for Jesus in the everyday stuff of life. For more information, go to doxa-church.com.